Welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. I'm your host, Lupna, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Woon, the podcasting expert. Hello, everyone. The Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi-adoring entrepreneurs, showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and the grounding and this week i am joined by yet another amazing guest i cannot believe we've got this person on the on the episode this is business visionary Bree Seely, who helps entrepreneurs and businesses create long-term sustainable success and wait for it on their terms. She knows that one size never fits all, so her approach is customized and tailor-made to each and every client. Brie works with established and emerging businesses using her extensive knowledge to increase their impact, laser focus their vision, streamline their systems, and boost their profits. She's also a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, the author of the best-selling Permission to Leap, the top entrepreneur coach on Google, and has been seen on the Today Show, Forbes, Entrepreneur, Yahoo, and many more. Brie, welcome. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, and we are very excited to have you. So let's start with the most important question on this podcast. What's your favorite sushi? Okay, so this answer gets a little long and contrived. I'll give you my before I found out about my health issues answer, and I'll give (laughs) you my after I found out about my health issues answer. (laughs) So before I found out, I loved, you know, kind of all the usuals, Um, all the, the nigiri rolls, like all sorts of things, like that was my jam. And then I found out that I have a yeast allergy. And what that entails is that because all of us have yeast just naturally recurring in our bodies, I have to basically keep my yeast levels really, really, really low, which means that I cannot eat anything that is either sugar-based, includes sugar, or turns to sugar within my body. So uh, several years ago, I had to cut out, I was already gluten-free, so I don't eat wheat. I had to cut out corn, rice and potatoes and no alcohol, no, like just very, very, very clean living. So with the removal of rice from my diet, like literally the first thing I thought was like, how am I going to eat sushi? Like, ah, I can't, I can't like life is not worth living anymore. (laughs) Done. I'm out. I'm also very much a tourist. So like food things to me are just like, like the lap of luxury in the world. Um, So I have switched over to sashimi pretty much exclusively. And then depending on, um, you know, what places I go to, there was a place like in downtown LA that I live two blocks away from, and they had a sushi burrito that had no rice in it. It was all crab, tuna, salmon, like it was all fish. Um, So I could eat that. They would also make me rolls without rice in them. And like, so pretty much any sushi that does not involve rice is what I currently love and stick to. Oh, 
That sounds oh. like amazing. I, I've never met anyone who's enjoying sushi without rice. <laughs> but I suppose that's what sashimi is for. It's a challenge, but I'm committed. <laughs> I, you heard it here. We only have sushi adoring entrepreneurs. And they are entrepreneurs because they will find a way to have sushi even if they can't have the rice. Oh, totally. And I have my favorite places like in every city that I moved to. Although I will say, um, you know, I was living, I learned how to eat sushi in Seattle, which was like the perfect place to learn how to eat sushi. Then I moved to LA, another great place to eat sushi. Lived in New York, which had great sushi. I'm currently in Minnesota, not great sushi, and also moving to Oklahoma. So I'm like, I went from having this like coastal lifestyle where like, fish was just readily available and like, you know, and now I'm like living in this landlocked at least for the next year. So I don't know. I'm going to have to travel a lot. I, that's, that's, I'm just going to have to go to LA like once a month just to get sushi and then like come back. <laughs> oh, I love that. I really love that. I would do the same. I would go traveling to a good sushi restaurant just because of the sushi. And you mentioned that you learned uh, sushi or to eat sushi in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about your introduction to sushi. So I also grew up in Minnesota. So I was used to like, I remember my parents making salmon and stuff when I was young and it just stank. Like it just smelled so bad. And so like I had this association in my head and then too in Minnesota, a lot of the fish that people eat is like lake fish, which I don't, I don't eat lake creatures or yeah, that's just not stagnant water. No, thank you. I just, nope. So I moved to Seattle having this perception of what the experience of fish is like and um, had a boyfriend who just constantly was like, you know, I just think that you should try, just try it. And so we would go out for sushi. And when we first started going out for sushi, all I would eat was California rolls. The magic words fell. I mean, it's like the easiest like low barrier to entry into the sushi world kind of thing. But what he was brilliant at, he was like, you have to at least just take a bite of everything that I order. And so he would, he would give me, you know, a bite of this, a bite of that. And I slowly just really started becoming acclimated to it. He would try different roles to get me then to try different roles. And he was very committed to like having me love sushi because he loved sushi and it worked. And then um, my best friend and I, that started becoming our thing. And so we would always, we lived a few houses away and we would call each other and go out for sushi all the time. And it just kind of became like our routine once I fell in love with it. Oh, I absolutely love it. And, and I do agree. I mean, I, I've got uh, three nieces and two of them, the youngest two, are absolutely love, 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 love sushi, which is out of character for Moroccan families because I've brought up the same, uh, similar like you, uh, Brie, is Moroccans eat, love, love fish, but it needs to be baked or cooked or put in the oven. The idea of raw fish, even though now, every time I have sushi and my father is, he says, I can't believe you're eating raw fish. That's just out of this world. He said, I can't believe you're consciously eating raw fish. And I'm like, oh, I love it. And he still, still does not understand the concept. My three-year-old loves, loves, loves California roll. 
her one-year-old sister loves California roll. It's the best way to start if you do not like sushi, start with the California roll. So I love that you share that, Brie. I really love, 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 love that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the one roll, well, one of the few rolls, right, that doesn't have a raw fish in it. Um, so yeah, I do feel the sushi is like, it's like a gateway drug, right? It's like you <laughs> like get into that one and then it's just like from there. Yeah, it just it just goes in a ripple effect. You just have to step out of your comfort zone each and every time you have a, a, a little bit bite of that sushi roll. Cool. Um, how does your environment respond to you having sushi instead of your Minnesota upbringing of fish? Um, I mean, you know, usually I'm not in Minnesota, so I'm I've only been here since May, and really only for um, you know, kind of. COVID times, I came to get out of New York City because I was trapped in a box, basically. Um, so put all my things in storage and came back here. So usually, you know, the places I normally live, it's it's normal. Mm. Most everyone eats all, you know, all the things. Um, so for the most part, like my community, my, my not my parents, but my sister loves sushi. Um, so most of the people around me like it. And, and I've always eaten a little differently than most Minnesotans anyways. I remember being in college and like, I've never had red meat in my entire life. And I was going to college with like farmers children. And so they were like, they, I mean, they have cows that get killed to eat and they're like, wait, you don't eat what? Like, so I've always kind of had a little bit of an off the beaten path experience in life. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, let's move to the second part of the Sushi Club, the entrepreneurship. What do you do, Brie? So I help people build um, profitable and successful businesses on their terms. So like you read in my bio, you know, I every single one of us on this planet have a unique thumbprint. And which means that every single one of us on this planet is different. And so it's hard for me. I'm like, okay, so we all know that every single person is different. Mm -hmm. And yet everyone tries all the same methods and all the same strategies to grow their businesses, even when those strategies are not aligned with who they are, Mm. right? So they think that, oh, well, because so-and-so got successful this way, clearly that's the only path to success. So that's the path that I have to take. And I don't believe that's true at all. Every single person, you could even follow the exact same steps that someone else took and, and just have such a radically different experience. So, you know, one of my things that I'm passionate about is you need to find your path because your path to your destination is going to be as unique as your thumbprint. And for us to try to go out and buy all these like proven systems for success and all the like BS marketing that's out there around like, you know, pay me money. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to get success um, is really harmful for people. I would say about 70 to 80% of the clients that I get come to me because they've tried to fit a square peg in a round hole and it hasn't worked. And they come to me because I'm like, you don't, you don't need a round hole. You need to find a square hole and like, then that's what works. But to blindly just follow someone else's approach because they found success with it 
doesn't mean that that's what you need to do as well. And so, so much of what I do is helping people learn about themselves enough to know what their path forward looks like towards that successful vision of entrepreneurship that they have. Yeah. And I, I, I think love that's, that you, yeah. that's a really important starting point for most people that I, I, because I, for me personally, I, I figured out like I, I was a certain personality type and I did, you know, one of these personality types tests that, that revealed that there's certain path and different paths required different uh, approaches. And I thought that was one of the most interesting things that I learned about myself. This was even before I started my own sort of entrepreneur journey. And I think I see a lot of people who don't actually understand that there are different paths. And I think that's so important what you just shared. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that drives me nuts more than anything else is the people that are like, in order to be successful, you have to have an opt-in that leads to Facebook ads that leads to a webinar. And it's like, you know, there's, there's one person in particular that goes out and he's like, look at how successful I was. And I'm like, yeah, that was also 10 years ago. Yeah. So to, to still stand on something that worked 10 years ago and then sell that as the way when the entire landscape of digital marketing has changed in 10 years is just asinine to me and people still buy into it. They're like, Oh, he did it. Clearly, clearly that's what I need to do. And it's like, no, I bought one of those funnel making courses, the literally the very, 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 very beginning of my business and threw $5,000 at it. Plus ad spend didn't make a dime because I hadn't done like now, I think if I were to do it now, if I wanted to do it now, which webinars just, are not my jam. Like I just don't like them. If I wanted to do it now, I'd have a completely different result because I didn't have the foundation of my business set. Then I didn't know enough about myself to even know what my messaging was. And it was the person that sold it to me was like, Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is a proven system. It'll work. And it just, it doesn't work that way. And it drives me nuts. And so I get up on my soapbox and I yell about it. And then let people have their free will to make their own choices. Yeah. No, but I, and and we, we talked about this just before we uh, started recording this episode is that Gail Edwards, you, you, you love her. She uses the exact same language as you, square pegs while it's trying to find a square hole. Uh, exactly the same sentence because she's so passionate about being grounded in who you are. And, and that's one of the things that bounds the three of us is that we really believe in authenticity. We believe in you being you because there's no one like you. And a part of the story behind this podcast specifically is my wish for everyone to embrace who they are. I mean, I know that some people look at me and think she's out of her mind for adoring sushi as much as she does. Uh, and I'm like, but I love it. And I can talk about it all day long. And sometimes I even do to the detriment of people around me. It's like, oh, there she goes again. And I'm like, I love it. I am not afraid to show you that love for sushi. And you might think I'm absolutely crazy. But let's be honest, there are about 8 billion people in the world. I'm going to find at least one person. And I found over 20 <laughs> up to this point who adores sushi just as much as I do and it, there is something very powerful of being grounded in who you are embracing all of your quirkiness 
and just going out there because you're going to inspire other people because of it. And I just, I really love that. And I, and I share with you just before we hopped on this recording is to, that Gail Edwards and I last week were just at the frustration level that we're thinking, why are you asking advice from total strangers in a Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or whatever your platform is? who don't know who you are, who don't know your ambition or vision for 12 months from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, it doesn't really matter. How can they ever advise you on anything, even if it's on the tactical level? Because uh, I share, I can advise you on a tactical level if I know your vision 12 months from now or, th- or three months from now, because then I can relate to it. And even before I do that, I need to know, but who are you? What's your, what's your personality? What do you enjoy doing? What were you good at? What do you feel comfortable with doing at this moment in time? Because there are literally thousands of tactics, uh, hundreds of ways to hit Rome, to go to Rome. There is going to be one, one way for you, one roadmap that fits you like a glove. And you're going to get your results faster in a more fun way than if you just copy other people. So I'm, I'm very happy to find another entrepreneur that's just as passionate as the authentic route as we are. I mean, it's so important to me. I just got an email this weekend from a woman who um, has bought and bought and bought and bought and bought all these courses. And she wanted to work with me because she's like, I feel like you'll be the glue to like bring it all together and to pull it all in. And she's like, but you know, I've spent all this money on all these courses. And she's like, and to be honest, I haven't finished any of them. I haven't applied any of them. Like either none of them are resonating or um, she just hasn't done the work inside to figure out what's going to be for her. Right. And so she's, she said, she's like, I've been having panic attacks for the last four days because She's like, I'm just at this point in my business. And, and, you know, I tell people you cannot have like strategy is something that comes last. If you don't know yourself, if you don't know who you're serving, if you don't know how they think and what they need, if you don't know how your service addresses that, if you don't know all of the like foundational aspects of your business, I'm sorry about my cat. She has separation anxiety and she's screaming in the background. (laughs) Um, but if you don't have all of that stuff first and you just try to slap strategy on like this broken foundation, it's never going to work. Like no amount of strategy can solve if you don't have all of the pre-work done first. If you don't know who you're set, who you are, like as an entrepreneur, you cannot just blindly find a strategy to build a business. It, It just doesn't work that way. And like, to your point, I think that our greatest opportunity as entrepreneurs is that we get to be ourselves. Our quirky, one-of-a-kind, sushi-loving, like we get to be ourselves in our businesses. We don't have to pretend to be anyone else anymore. We don't need to please other people. If they don't like it, great. Bye. Don't follow me. A lot of people hate that I swear. I'm like, cool, you're not my client. Bye. Like, I saw someone's post on Facebook a few months back that was like, you know, I'm regrettably having to shut down my brand because I can't be myself within my business. You know, I have to show up a certain way. I have to have photos a certain way. I have to have a website a certain way. I have to have all these things. And I really, truly wanted to message her and be like, whoever you've learned from needs to be fired because whoever taught you that is so incredibly immensely wrong. There is no greater gift in entrepreneurship than being yourself 100% of the time 
especially when you have a really loud, obnoxious cat. Like, this is just part of my life. This is who I am. You don't like my cat? Don't work with me. I like... Well, honestly, you're you're in the best place. I mean, we love everything that this is our lives, the good, the bad and the ugly. And let's be honest, if if there was something, usually one of my nieces, if they were around, they would be coming up because they love me when I'm talking to a screen that's fascinating them. And I just incorporate them. And if you don't like that, you're not my tribe. And that's fine. Go find your tribe. Go find the people that you absolutely enjoy uh, spending time with. So breathe. Sorry, we're, ask... go. we're both passionate. Go. Let me ask you a question, right? So you you started off as a fashion entrepreneur. You ran your own fashion label. And then how did you end up becoming a, an entrepreneur coach? Because I know there's a story there that I think is really fascinating and I think a lot of people can learn from. So the short version of that answer is through meditation. And the longer version of that answer, oh my goodness, (laughs) she has this thing in the mornings where she really likes to chase lights on the wall. And if she can't be in the room where she likes to chase the lights, she just sits and screams for hours on end. It's, what are you going to do? Some people have kids. I have a cat. Like I just... She wants to be part of the podcast. Exactly. We can leave that in. It's it's interesting. (laughs) Um, So... It's funny, just side note. So my clients think it's hilarious because every time they listen to like the meditations I've recorded or whatever else, they can like hear her, whether it's she's on my chest and she's purring or there's a a training module in one of my courses and one of my clients texted the other day and she was like, I can only hear peaches in this. And she's like, it's hilarious. (laughs) So again, like I'm just me. I'm unapologetically myself. If you like that, you like that. If you don't, um, Okay, so how did I transition from fashion designer to business designer? Again, meditation. So I had known for a while that there was something just that didn't feel right, that didn't sit right. I had been feeling the resistance. I'd been feeling the frustration in my fashion business, but I I literally didn't know what other options I had. In fact, at the time, I didn't think I had any other options. I thought my only option was to push through it and to get through to the other side. Um, Then I went to a friend's house in LA, March 2015, and did this deep, 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 deep meditation, like insane meditation. And in the middle of it, like I literally don't even remember the rest of the meditation, but in the middle of it, it felt like this hammer kind of like came down and just like energetically just like hit me. And I heard this very clear, like fashion, isn't it? Shut it down, walk away. And it just like, it landed so heavy and reverberated so much through my body and my energy field that I was like, whoa. And honestly, like people are like, but how did you act on it so quickly? I'm like, well, I was already frustrated. And that was like my permission slip from the universe to be like, honey, you can walk away. There are other options for you. And so within 72 hours, I announced that I was closing my fashion business. I had no idea what was on the other side of it. Um, I just knew that if the universe was giving me a message like that, my only job was to be obedient to it. And so like, I I know this is something that a lot of people struggle with is that they, they hear those messages, but they struggle with that like obedient obedience aspect. And for me, that's something that people reflect back to me all the time. I just had a girlfriend reflect it back to me last month. Um, You know, even I just, got the message from the universe to move to Tulsa, like from Manhattan to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she was like, wow, I'm so impressed with your obedience. 
You hear these messages from the universe, you get this guidance, and then you act on it. You don't sit around thinking about it. You don't like doubt it. You trust that if the universe is guiding you in a particular direction, that it's just your job to like follow that. And so that's, I think, you know, the meditation part, obviously important, but I think more than that, if anyone's listening uh, that can resonate with this, it's really that obedience aspect of it. You know, you can receive messages all day long, but if you don't do anything about them, you cannot move forward. And so you receive the message and then it's up to you to commit to it and to act on it. And that's really how it happened. And then from there, obviously, of course, like I'd already hired a coach uh, for my fashion business. So then we pivoted into, okay, now I don't have a business. (laughs) What's next? And uh, again, signs from the universe. I realized my email inbox, I had all these emails from people being like, how did you build the business you built? How did you get to where you've gotten? Can you teach me like all this stuff? And I was like, well, I'll just start helping people because I know how to start and run a business and take it from there. And over the last five years and what four months, it just keeps growing and spiraling and yeah. Amazing. I, I love that story. I think it's so fascinating how people start. Like it's always there's always an interesting story and there's always lots of different pivotal moments in in, in that journey. Which I think pe- pe- for people who are listening to this, I think there's always inspiration you can take from when when we hear stories of how people start their their sort of entrepreneur journey. And and of course you you work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting out. And can you share a bit about you know some of your some of the key challenges people face and what 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 advice you have? Yeah, totally. I do work with a lot of new entrepreneurs, and I think especially for new entrepreneurs, the the preliminary like momentum that it takes to get going is just it's a lot, and it's hard to do on your own, especially if you're surrounded by people that aren't entrepreneurs. If you're surrounded, like if you're going to like say a nine to five job every single day with people that are used to being in nine to five jobs, if you have family members who aren't entrepreneurs and everyone's telling you, you're crazy, you can't start a business. How are you going to make money? Right? So the initial um, momentum that it takes to get going, I think is one of the hardest things. And I know people that entrepreneurs that have literally been on the fence between starting and not starting for years. And the first step in my book, if you want to take a leap of faith, is that you have got to get off that that fence. Because regardless of whether you move forward with entrepreneurship or you don't, that fence is keeping you stuck. So if you're not going to move forward with entrepreneurship, that at least frees you up to have something else drop in. And if you are moving forward with entrepreneurship, that then frees you up to take those steps. But if you're waffling back and forth between the two and you're just sitting there in indecision, you literally can't do anything. So I think one of the biggest mistakes that especially new entrepreneurs make is that they don't act on that impulse enough. They don't have that obedience to say, I'm going to try this and put myself out there. And then I think the other thing I see with new entrepreneurs is the DIY approach. It's like, oh, I'm just going to figure this out myself. Eventually it'll happen. There's enough resources online. Eventually it'll happen. And um, a mentor of mine helped me do the calculations a few weeks ago about, you know, say you want to charge $200 an hour and you're DIYing it and you end up putting a hundred hours 
into this project. And if you put 100 hours into a project that you're just trying to learn, right, that's taking up 100 hours of time where you could be making $200 an hour. So a lot of people think DIY is a cheaper option. DIY now just costs you $200,000. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, it was so important to hire a coach to help me. And I invested $25,000 in my business before I'd even made a penny in it. And the result was that, you know, I hit, what is it, like 2% of female businesses hit the six-figure mark. I hit six figures in my business in 18 months. And so, like, for me, the DIY approach might seem like it's saving you money, but in the end, it's actually costing you more. And so I think between those two things, those are the two biggest mistakes I see new entrepreneurs make. That's really fascinating. I think that that number really uh, explains why people really should invest in, um, in, in a mentor and actually potentially outsourcing work that they, they, they shouldn't be um, learning themselves. What's, and, uh, yeah, go on. Oh, and going back to what we talked about earlier too, the, the advice thing, like you're going out trying to get advice from people to build this business that don't know what your vision is. They don't know what you're trying to build. They don't know who your customer is. They don't know, right? And so like you could, even in the DIY thing in those hundred hours, you could receive all the wrong information and then you're still at ground zero and again, you've lost out on the potential of $200,000. So like there's so many things that go into it that it's just. I, I want to ask you a bit about your book, actually. So you've got a book called Permission to Leap. Could you share a bit about your, you know, what, what the book is about and like what was your experience writing the book and, and getting it out there? Because I see that uh, you've got a full, it, it's, you got a forward written by Naveen Jain, who is a, obviously a billionaire. <laughs> Naveen is awesome. Um, he's, he has been a great friend and I really, really appreciate him. Um, so yeah, so it was an easy ask. He actually was berating me for not having me on his, my podcast. And I was like, Naveen, you're a big, important guy. Like, I'm not going to ask you to be on my podcast. And he was like, Bree Seely, I'm your friend. Like he was like, and so I was like, wow. okay, fine, Naveen, fine. Want to write the foreword to my book? <laughs> yeah, that's oh. negotiating. I know, right? I wasn't even really expecting to do it, but I was like, whatever, we're here. Why not? Um, no, he's a great guy. Uh, so yeah, the experience of writing my book, again, it came to me in meditation. And so, you know, it was January, 2017. And I heard this very clear, you're writing a book this year. And I was like, I don't, like, I assumed I'd write a book someday, but like this year, really? The, uh, okay. What, what am I writing about? And so again, it was just that obedience of like starting to take steps every single day. Every Sunday I would go to the farmer's market and bring like a notebook with me and just like jot down what thoughts had gone through my head that week, what conversations I was having, what was popping up in my field in terms of like headlines I'd seen or things like that. And so, um, you know, just being in the creative process with it. And then I hired um, a marketing team to help me with the launch of it. And so from there, I sat down with them and was like, all right, 
what's the name of the book? What's the, what are we like, what's the end point of the book? Where are we getting people to? What does this look like? What are my personal experiences that can lend well to this? What research have I done? All that stuff. So we sat down and did an outline. Then I got flown to Seattle for three weeks to house sit for some friends. And so me and three cats uh, locked myself in their condo on Green Lake and wrote for three weeks. And I wrote pretty much the entire book in three weeks uh, and then came back to LA, had my editing editing team like started working through all of that, started developing up the marketing, had a pre-launch strategy, all these things. Um, and it debuted November. So it was like, it was like 10 months from impetus to launch. Um, and it was a really great experience. You know, I'm getting ready right now to write my second book. And I actually really enjoy writing it. I don't necessarily recommend that other people write books within three weeks, though. That was like, it was, it was, I mean, think about like trying to give birth to something so massive in like such a short amount of time. It was just, it was, it was a lot, but I'm glad I did it that way. Well, you should hear <laughs> Lubna's story. I know. <laughs> I've been in four. I've I've been in four books up to this point in the last two and a half years, and my very first book is in Dutch that I wrote with a friend of mine. Uh, that took months. The second one was months. Uh, the third one I wrote in three hours, a chapter about fifteen hundred words. The last one was this book actually, The Law of Brand Attraction, which was a, a co-author, 24 of us, uh, in seven days. And from idea to publication, 10 days. But again, wow. 24 people writing 1,500 words, chapters. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't write it until deadline day. And even then, I wrote it in about 90 minutes my chapter just flowed out of me as soon as I, the, the other days to be fair, and I love that you shared it is it was more of letting the, the, the universe and my subconscious percolate on, okay, what's the, because the questions were, okay, well, what's the story? If I have to explain why I do what I do today, what was that pivotal moment that actually unlocked everything that happened after that, that has led me to today? It was more of that question because I knew if I had that story, then writing it isn't a problem anymore. But it needed me to connect to that story. And as soon as I had it, and I had the very first lines, I wrote it in 90 minutes flat, in a one go. So it can be done in a very short amount of time. Um, I know that people have, read, have written a book in a weekend. It's, it's really funny because I'm not planning to write a book, but I think the more I speak to people, the more I realize how painful it is writing a book. And so you got to write it quick. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it, a little it, true. To go through everything instead of lingering it out in months and months. So one of the things... It's, Brie, like, ripping, wanna, it's like ripping uh, a band-aid off. You exactly. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Is that I want to circle, circle back to a lot of what you're sharing and that I'm resonating with a lot is the... Um, all authentic part is really making sure that you do something that's in alignment with who you are. But how do people know that they've hit that, that they know that they know who they are so that any advice, any mentoring, any strategy, any tactic is in alignment because you need that frame of reference. So how do you know? I mean, so much of it, definitely, it's not an overnight process. It's something, and you know, I think that I get clearer and clearer and clearer on who I am 
as I moved through my journey as well, right? So there was a time when I thought that all that I was was a fashion designer. And that was my only frame of reference until I had like, you know, a tower moment where everything had to come crumbling down. And so what I recommend for people is you have to really get down past all the stories, past all of the projections of other people, past all of the expectations, any agreements you've made with other people about who you are and how you show up in the world. Like all of that stuff has to be stripped away. And the only way to strip, I mean, not the only way, there's one, it's through self-reflection. And whether you do that alone or whether you hire a coach or a therapist or someone to do that with you, you know, that's up to you. But it's, it's a ton of self-reflection. You know, I spend two hours almost every single morning in self-reflection, you know, really looking at what's working within me, what's no longer working within me. Cause I also feel like too, we like put on these beliefs that we just then carry around with us everywhere that at some point we may, may or may not over outgrow. Sorry. And so we're, we're carrying around these these beliefs that just don't fit us anymore. And we, we just don't do the necessary work at looking at them to see, uh, you know, if we want to get rid of them or not. I think the neuroscience that's come out in the last several years around like how easily changeable our brains are is such a, a fascinating concept because before we thought like, oh, well, this is just how I am. This is just how I am. So I'm just going to be this way. Like, well, but do you want to be that way? Is this how you want to operate in the world? Because at the end of the day, you get a choice. So it's really finding your authentic self. I, I joke that it's kind of like um, making balsamic reduction. You know, you like have all this liquid and you just keep like slowly like simmering and simmering and simmering and all the like water boils off. And at the end, when all the water's boiled off, you have this really potent, just straight up vinegar, Right but you have to do the work of like boiling off the water very slowly day by day to get down to that core essence of who you are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And, and it reminds me of the time that people used to say to me, and it, it was, it was partly true is you're an extrovert, but you're an extrovert. So you have it, you have it easy. And every time they did that, I said, yes, but it was always a yes, but, and I felt it to my core. I was like, yeah, but it's not the whole truth. It's not, it's not exactly. But if in, and I'm from the, from the personality perspective, if you only believe that there is something in the world that called introvert and extrovert, yeah, then I'm more of an extrovert. But if you dive into the science behind personality, you'll find out that we have three options. You're either an introvert, an extrovert, or you're an ambivert in the middle. Now, I'm an ambivert. That means that I've, I've got both. I've got extrovert and introvert in me. And it was a revelation when I found that out. I'm like, oh, that's the other part that I felt that was missing, but I didn't have the language to use for myself, but also to explain to other people. Because what people didn't get was, but I know you as the extrovert. Why do you need time alone? Well, because I'm an ambivert, I can go on stage or be, do this, but afterwards I need some time really absolutely completely on my own to recharge. And I think that a huge part of this too, in this like exploratory process, that if people choose to do it, is you also have to just have a really great relationship with your intuition. Yeah. Because that feeling within you, that knowing that 
either something is right or something's off is literally the only thing that can guide you back to your true essence. Mm. And so for you, you had this intuitive hit that like, that's not all of who I am, but what are my other options? And so having like using that intuition and saying, I know there's something more, I know there's something more, this isn't all of who I am is an important factor because that's what's going to guide you Mm -hmm. towards knowing what that potency is, what that reduction is of like your true, true essence. Cool. And um, to connect those two, the question is, if Brie Seeley was a sushi, what are the ingredients? Oh my God, this is a hard one. I literally never prep for podcasts. Like I never ask for questions beforehand. And now I'm like, oh, this is one, like literally the only question I've ever been asked that I'm like, oh, I wish I'd had this one beforehand. Okay. All right. So clearly there's no rice in it. No rice. Um, what? Okay. So definitely there's some spicy mayo where uh-huh. you're like, oh, that just looks like mayo. And then you try it and you're like, oh, there's a little kick to that. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's definitely me. Um, definitely more towards the like lobster end of things because I'm a, I'm just like a little bougie about certain things. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned at the top of the hour, I'm a Taurus. So I like, like I'm wearing cashmere today, right? Like I just, there's like just a little bit of that in there. Uh-huh. Um, what else? Probably uh, seaweed paper because it's just like such a foundational mm-hmm. like pillar that just kind of like holds everything together. Uh-huh. What else? Um, cucumber maybe because it's just a little like fresh and and like refreshing, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I feel like that's just not like cucumber, <laughs> cucumber wrapped up. With lobster and spicy mayo, just doesn't sound very appetizing. <laughs> what am I missing, guys? Help! It's your yay. It's the sushi called Brie Seely, so I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny. I think this is a this is such a tough question. Like Luna, you started asking this like a few episodes ago, and I thought, wow, like you, you got to prep these guests with this question. <laughs> Although. I have to say, as much as I'm like, God, I wish I would have had that question earlier, I probably wouldn't have come up with those things had I overthought it. So my intuition is usually pretty spot on. So I'll stick with it. Spicy mayo, lobster, cucumber, and uh, seaweed wrap. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Would you change anything if I were to ask you if your business was a sushi? What would the ingredients be? My business then would probably have a little bit of rice around it. just because it's that like, like what I do for people in my business is like, give them that, like for me, the rice kind of like, like holds it all together. Right. Like it just kind of like sticks things. And so I definitely, because, you know, my business is both the personal and the business, Mm -hmm. like it sticks things together for people and it stops being either or conversations and it starts being kind of both and conversations. You know, how do I be an entrepreneur and, you know, myself and those kinds of things. So yeah, my business would have rice too. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So as we wrap up, what would you like the listeners to take away from this episode? Um, I mean, a few things. If you're a new entrepreneur, 
um, just trusting that 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 spark within you is leading you towards a path that you're being invited to say yes to. And if you don't feel comfortable saying yes to that path, but you want to, there are people out there that can help you. Um, If you're an established entrepreneur, I think the thing I'd have you take away is like, you have to find your path. If you're really looking to have business growth, like following someone else's path just isn't going to get you there. So develop that relationship with your intuition, bring on someone that can help you not just give you a templated like step-by-step path, but actually help you find your path to find the success you want to find. Um, And if you're kind of a legacy entrepreneur, I'd say just keep going and keep being obedient to those calls that are happening within you and keep taking those steps forward. Oh, I love that. And if people want to know more about you, where can they find you or connect with you? My website is my name. It's breeseely.com. That's B-R-I-S-E-E-L-E-Y.com. And my favorite place to hang out on the interwebs is Instagram. And my Instagram is also my name. So come find me. If you do um, connect with me there, send me a DM and let me know that you heard me on the, the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. Awesome. And we'll make sure that we will add those descriptions to or those links to the description of this podcast. Woon, anything to wrap this up? No, I think this has been a super amazing, super fun episode. I I I really enjoyed it. And thank you so much, Brie, for sharing your wisdom and your experience and, and all these amazing sushi stories that you, that I think only only this podcast you can actually hear hear about. <laughs> It's true. I have never talked about my sushi love before on a podcast. So, I mean, congratulations on having the intuitive hit and uh, following it and just bringing it to life. So it's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brie. And thank you for you listening to this episode right now. Um, We would love to know what has been your biggest takeaway from our conversation with Brie today. So do take a moment and share this with us in our Facebook group called the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. You'll find the link to this group in the description with this episode. If you know someone who will benefit from listening to this episode, please do share it with them. You never know the positive impact and the ripple effect it can have. For now, have an amazing day, have fun, and we will see you on another episode of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. <laughs>